Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. Talking about what it means to live in the new story that Christ has for us. You see, we've been existing as a church for about two years now. And the name of our church is New Story Church. If you were expecting a different church, you're at New Story today. So um, thank you for being here at New Story today. And uh, we exist because we desire for people to discover their new story. And that's rooted in 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. They are a new creature. So we believe that in Christ, you can have a new story. You can have new life right here, right now. And that we as the church come together to write a new story in our community to write a new story in our city that speaks of Jesus's life, hope, and love, and resurrection power. And what we decided was, well, since we've been doing this for about two years now, it would be good for us to have a series over the month of July here, this course of five weeks, to talk about our mission, what we're doing for people to discover their new story, and to talk about our values. And our values are, this is what it looks like when somebody has discovered their new story, and they are living in that new story. And so what we're going to be doing over these five Five weeks is walking through our core values. And we believe that when somebody is in Christ living in these core values, that they are living out the essence of what it means to experience a new story in Christ. And so our core values are this, and they actually spell out story. They're service and celebration. And if you were here last week, I said every single one of our core values has a God element and a people element because we believe those things are connected. They're intertwined. We can't just get away with saying, oh, I'm good with God. And then, you know, figure things out with people. No, these things are directly connected. How you see God will affect how you treat other people and how you treat other people. And oftentimes is actually a reflection of how you see God. And we believe that God is for all people and that in Christ Jesus, every person can have new life. And so therefore our connection to God is vital to our connection to other people and vice versa. These things are very connected to one another. And so we said, we talked about service and celebration last week and said, if you're living in your new story. We are going to serve God and serve people. We are going to celebrate God and celebrate people. When you're serving people, you're actually in a way celebrating them because you're putting the attention on them and taking the focus off of yourself. Uh, We we talked this week, we're going to be focusing on trust. We say that if you're living in your new story, we're going to trust God and we're going to seek to trust others. Next week, we're going to talk about how in serving Christ and walking with Christ, we are going to give outstanding effort in all that we do, in all that we do in following him and in all that we do in serving others. Then the fourth week of this series, guess what? My wife Kim is going to be speaking and she is fantastic. And she's going to be talking about relationships, our relationship to God and our relationship to others. And then the final week of this series, we're going to be talking about what it means for us to say yes to God. And we're going to talk about, hey, how we say yes to him and how we say yes to him and how we treat and interact with others. And what's really, really cool about that last week of saying yes to God is at the end of the service, we're going to be doing child baby dedications. And we have like, I think 10 kids or more signed up for that, which is unbelievable. And the reason there are so many families and kids who are able to say, hey, we're dedicating them to the Lord is because so many of you have been saying yes to God and he's been moving in this church. And so we're going to continue to say, hey, look at this. We're saying yes to God with our families. We're saying yes to God in all that we do. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm believing that God is going to continue to do incredible things in this series. 
Now, before we jump into trust, I do want to acknowledge uh, one thing because I said last week that this five weeks is kind of like our membership class or it's almost like our interest gathering. We don't really have a membership class. We look at it this way. We say, if you come to New Story, you call this your home church and you're in a story group and you serve on our story team, then you are a member of New Story Church. Like that's, that's how we look at it here. We don't really have like a formal class or anything like that because here's, here's how we feel. If you are following Christ, we are going going to celebrate you whether you call New Story your home or not. If you are doing something that's hurting or harming other people and it connects to somebody at New Story, we will come and correct you whether you consider yourself to be a member here or not. Like we, we, we are all in this together. And if you call, if you come here every Sunday, you're in a story group and you're serving, this is your home. You're a member here. You're a part of this church. And so that's, that's how we see that here. And there's also some people are like, okay, well, this is like your membership and you could send this five-week series and people could find all about New Story. Shouldn't you do a message on like your beliefs or your doctrinal statement? Just a couple things on that. We do have a belief statement. And if you ever want access to it, please just email me, scottlackey at newstorybuffalo.com. I will gladly send it to you. But just simply, I would like to say this. Our belief is this. We submit to the Lordship of Jesus to the best of our abilities and seek to follow him. That's our belief statement. We submit to the Lordship of Jesus and seek to follow him. Now, there are nuances and particulars within that, I know, and that is all addressed in our belief statement. So if you have questions about something specific, please email me, scottlackey at newstorybuffalo.com. But I also want to add something to that as well. Because sometimes people will say, oh, what's your belief statement? I got to know before I even come to your church, I got to know what your belief statement is. And I I understand that. I get why somebody, you kind of want to know what you're walking into. I get that. But I, I, I push back on that a little bit and I would say, why don't you just go to a church for a while? See what the people are like, see what the worship's like, see what people are talking about, see what they're doing. Because a lot of people can write something down and say this is what they believe, but I would rather see what somebody is doing. I would rather see what a group of people is doing because what you're doing is a reflection of what you believe, of what you truly believe. And I'm so thankful for this church, and I'm thankful that there are people here who I believe are moving forward in the new story that Christ has for them. And, you know, because we all know, we know corporations and businesses and even churches, they have all this writing up on the wall, you know, you go to a business, we care about customer service. Well, that was not my experience at that company like that. You, <laughs> you did not care about me. So, you know, we, we want to make sure, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned about what are we doing? What do our lives look like? And we submit to the Lordship of Jesus and seek to follow him. And it's going to be messy sometimes, and it's going to be complicated, and we're not always going to get it right, but we're going to do our best to do that in humility, and we're not doing it alone. We're doing it together, which leads to our core value of trust. Now, I I spoke on trust last year in June of 2021 and did a three-week series on trust. So if you've been coming to New Story for a while, some of what I'm going to cover today, we covered last year as well. I have some new material in here, and I'm not going to be able to cover all of it today that I covered in a three-week series. Otherwise, we'd be here for almost two hours today. And I know you have plans, and you don't want to hear me talk for two hours today. So I'm going to give a summarization of some of that content with with some other information that I've decided to add in there. And if you're saying to yourself, I'm having a really difficult difficult time trusting others. I'm having a really difficult time trusting God. Go back to that series. It's on our YouTube channel of June of 2021 titled, Do You Trust Me? And you can hear a little bit more about that. But as I said, every single one of our core values has a people element, has a God element, and how can we grow in those areas? And so first I want to talk about the people or the human element of this. And before we start talking about what it means for us to trust other people, we have to ask ourselves, am I becoming the type of person that is trustworthy? 
We must seek to become people who are trustworthy. Ask yourself this question and allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart and be honest with you. Say, am I a trustworthy person? Hey, Holy Spirit, am I a trustworthy person? Dare to ask that question this morning. Because it becomes really easy to start saying, oh, other people, they gossip all the time. Or other people, they're always saying negative things about other people. Or other people, they're always name-calling. But when was the last time you shared information with somebody that you knew you shouldn't share about them? When was the last time you said something about somebody else for the purpose of putting them down and the purpose of elevating yourself? When was the last time you had some information and somebody said to you, please don't share this with anybody? And the first thing you were thinking was, I'm not going to share this with many people, but who can I share it with? <laughs> yeah, come on. Like, we talk about, oh, people, I can't trust other people, but are we being trustworthy? Proverbs 11:13, Solomon writes this, a gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. If I would say, if I had to maybe make an argument and put together a presentation on the sin that I think has snuck into the church and been the sin that the church struggles the most with that we don't want to acknowledge, it would pro- I, would, I think I could make a very strong case for gossip. I could make a very strong case because I got a prayer request. No, you don't. You want to share something about somebody else. You, I got a prayer request. This person's going through this horrible thing. Do you really want to pray for them or do you just want to share with other people about what that person is going through right now? Like, I'm not trying to be difficult here. I'm not trying to be harsh, but we have to ask ourselves. We have to let God search our hearts. A trustworthy person can keep a confidence. And what is your response when you find out that somebody has gossiped about you? Is it to go and confront them? Or is it to perpetuate the circle of gossip? And say, oh, they gossiped about me, so I'm going to go tell other people about what they did to me. Uh, sometimes we actually add to the problem. We, we've experienced somebody who is not trustworthy, and instead of doing the right thing and saying, I'm going to be above that, I'm going to go say something to them, I'm just going to continue to make this an issue. I'm going to go talk about them to somebody else now. We don't do a good job of keeping a confidence, because why? We talked about this before. Conflict is hard. Conflict is difficult, and we don't always like it. I was reading a book recently uh, called Crucial Conversations. It's put together by a collective group of authors, and they talked about how at a young age, we give into something that they refer to as the fool's choice. And the fool's choice is that when you are given a circumstance where you know that you might have to confront someone, we, we give into the fool's choice. And the fool's choice is that you think, okay, I can either confront this person or I can keep a friend. We think that we, can, we either have to confront somebody or not confront them at all, which means we get to keep them as a friend. We've been taught and conditioned that confrontation leads to us losing a friend. But I wonder if what actually lo- leads to us losing friendships and losing relationships is not, our lack of conf- is, is not because we didn't confront them, but it's actually our lack of conflict and because instead of confronting them, we decided to just say something bad about them. Uh, in the book, they give this scenario. They, uh, I'll just describe it to you. It's up on the screen here. He says, uh, for instance, we learned at a young age that when grandma served an enormous wedge of her famous pie and then asked, do you like it? She really meant, do you like me? 
When we answered honestly and saw the look of hurt and horror on her face, we made a decision that affected the rest of our lives. From this day forward, I will be alert for moments when I must choose between candor and kindness. I'm not saying that we need to be rude to people. I'm not saying that, oh, I'm just going to go tell everybody off right now. I'm going to tell, I'm going to let everybody know. I'm not saying that, but, but we, we've given into this fool's choice that, uh, you know what? I can't confront because if I confront, I would lose a friend. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I have to tell somebody about it. I have to vent about it. So I'm just going to go. They said some negative things about me. They were maybe name calling. They were saying things that weren't true, but instead of confronting them, I'm just going to add to the problem and go say something about them. Then they find out that you said something about them and then you actually did lose a friendship. But we have to reframe how we see confrontation. I'm going to talk about this more in a little bit. But when you confront somebody, what, you're actually, what we're actually doing, and we have to look at this from the sense of the person confronting and the person receiving the confrontation. If somebody confronts you, what they're actually saying is, hey, I trust you enough to be honest with me. And the reason I'm confronting you is because I want to reestablish trust in our relationship. We so easily take conflict as an insult or confrontation as a type of insult, but it's actually somebody saying, I'm trying to believe the best in you. I'm trying to see what else is going on here. So if we want to be people who trust others, we must learn to become people who are trustworthy and not give in to the fool's choice, but realize that it is through confrontation, it is through, it is through addressing things head on that we can actually reestablish and establish true trust. We see this played out in Acts chapter 9. Some of you may or may not know the story of the Apostle Paul, but before he was Paul and wrote almost half of what we have today is the New Testament, uh, he was leading a group of Pharisees in, in killing and persecuting Christians and destroying the church. He was not a fan of people who were following Christ. And then he had this miraculous event. He experiences Christ. He gives his life to Christ. And then he's like, hey, I want to be a part of the church. I want to be a part of this group of people now. And at first the church, they're... They're really hesitant. Acts 9.26 says, When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. And reasonably so. Dude, we just saw you killing some Christians recently. We saw you killing those who referred to themselves as disciples of Christ. We don't know. You could be like a double agent right now. You could be just trying to infiltrate to gain more influence. We don't know if we can trust you. But then somebody comes along by the name of Barnabas and he sees something different in Paul. And the scriptures tell us this in Acts chapter 9, verse 27. But Barnabas took hold of him. That's Paul. Barnabas took hold of Paul and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas was willing to take a risk. Barnabas was willing to rise above the chatter and the fear. And Barnabas took a step towards Paul. See, Here's how trust works. If you want to become a trustworthy person, you must be willing to extend trust to others. Barnabas establishes himself as a trustworthy person in Paul's life by extending to Paul, hey, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to bring you into the church. I, I want you to experience this. If you want to become a trust, there's a few things we learned from Barnabas here in becoming a trustworthy person. First of all, if you want to become a trustworthy person, you have to be willing to take the risk of extending trust to others. Secondly, if you want to become a trustworthy person, you have to be willing to catch some criticism. Luke doesn't record in the book of Acts that Barnabas necessarily received any criticism for extending his friendship to Paul. 
But I can only imagine, knowing people, that there are probably some people thinking, who does Barnabas think he is? What does he think he's doing? He's going to bring that guy in after everything he did to us? When you become a trustworthy person and you extend trust to somebody that other people do not want to trust, you are going to have to be willing to catch some criticism. And in that moment when you are catching some criticism, in that moment when people may have said to Barnabas, Barnabas, what do you think you're doing? Do you know what Paul did to you? Barnabas has to make a critical decision in that moment. He can either then jump back into that with them and say, yeah, you know what? You're right, guys. He's, he's horrible. Which would have then perpetuated a toxic situation. Or he could have said, hey, I've talked with him. Something's different. I am going to stand by him. Many of us, we falter in our trustworthiness because as soon as we start to catch some criticism, we just go along with the crowd and what the critics have to say. But if you want to become a trustworthy person, you're going to have to be willing to catch some criticism. And then lastly, if you want to become a trustworthy person, you're going to have to be willing to believe the best. Barnabas believed the best in Paul, even when it was difficult, even when it didn't even fully make sense to those around him. And you know where I think Barnabas learned these things from? From Jesus. Jesus was willing to catch some criticism based off of the people that he associated with. Jesus looked at humanity and chose to believe the best in you, even in your lowest moments. He saw something within you that maybe you didn't even see in yourself. And Jesus not only asks us to trust him, but he has extended trust to you by giving you a calling and a purpose and and an assignment and an mission to go make disciples of all the nations, to go be his follower, to be his ambassador. So just as Barnabas was extending trust to Paul, he must have learned this from Christ who has extended trust to every single one of us by saying, hey, I have a mission for the world. I'm giving it to you. We can learn this from Jesus to become trustworthy people, which leads us into trusting others. Trust others. This is difficult. I'm not going to spend as much time on this one because in a couple weeks when Kim talks about relationships, I imagine she'll cover some ground with this as well. I've not asked her if she's going to cover any ground with this, but I imagine that there will be some overlapping things. So I don't mean to put her on the spot or anything like that. But I'm sure that in relationships, we will learn a little bit about what it means to trust others and to walk and live life with others. But this one gets complicated. Especially if you feel as if you've been betrayed over and over again. Especially if you feel like you've been gossiped about over and over and over and over again. But Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, also wrote another book called Ecclesiastes. If you're, if you're not in a good headspace, do not read Ecclesiastes. It's a very depressing book. Everything is pointless. Everything is vain. It's, 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 a, it's a pretty sad book to read. But Solomon warns against living an isolated life that doesn't trust others in Ecclesiastes. He writes this in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 7 through 8. He said, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who was all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. This guy doesn't have anyone around him, but he's, he's dedicated his life to just gaining as much wealth as possible. But then he asks himself, Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Solomon's letting us in on something here. If you live for yourself, if you only ever focus on yourself, when you come to the end of yourself, all you're going to have to show for it is yourself. If you only ever live for yourself, all you'll ever have to show for it is yourself. 
and we want to live lives that are beyond ourselves. We want to live lives that are producing fruit, not just in our life, but in the lives around us. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, as we talked about last week. We exist for others. And that means that we're going to have to learn how to trust others. And that is difficult. And I've been thinking, I've been thinking about this concept of trusting others quite a bit lately because of a couple things. And, and the first thing I want to say about this is this, because I've heard, I hear people, this is one of the things I hear from people, uh, you know, you just don't know who you can trust anymore. I don't trust anyone anymore. You just, you just don't know who you can trust. And I get it. The first thing I would say is this though. If you're in a circumstance and you're saying to yourself, I don't know if I can trust others anymore. As I said, maybe somebody said something about you. Maybe someone gossiped about you. Maybe it was something that, that hurts you. And you're like, here's, here's my first question. Before you start saying, I can't trust that person anymore. Have you given that person the chance to do the right thing? Ask yourself, have you given that person the chance to do the right thing? Have you confronted them and said, hey, this is how you hurt me? Have you given them the chance to do the right thing? Oftentimes, it's very easy to take something that someone's done to us to hurt and just hold on to it and then say they hurt me and move on. And they never even, some, some people are so aloof, they don't even realize they did it. Have you given that person the chance to do the right thing? To extend forgiveness? To bring restoration? There's something to think about. Have you given them the chance to do the right thing? And secondly, the other thought I've had with this is because we, we live in a time now where we know everything that's going on. And we are aware of corruption in businesses. We're aware of corruption in different leaders. We're aware of corruption within churches and different spaces and ministry. Like, and it just seems like everywhere around us, there's all this corruption going on. And it's just easy to say, I, I don't know who I can trust anymore. I'm done trusting people. And trust me, I have been there. Or I'm like, I don't know. I don't know who I can trust anymore. I can trust Kim. I, can I trust anyone else? I, I don't know. And, and we're, it's, I don't know what else to do. And, and I've really been thinking through this because trust has been getting a bit of a bad rap lately. I don't think the issue is trust. I think that the issue is blind loyalty. That's the issue. The issue is not trust. The issue is blind loyalty. Let me elaborate on this a little bit. So trust will confront to seek truth and clarity and hopefully reestablish trust. Blind loyalty says, oh no, we know that person. They could never do that. We're not going to say anything about it. That's the problem. Blind loyalty is the problem. Blind loyalty of, oh no, oh, we know them. They could never do that. That's not trust. That is blind loyalty. Trust confronts. Blind loyalty avoids confrontation. And, and there have been far too many stories of people, oh, oh no, I know them. That, and that's, it's not that people trust, it's just people were blindly loyal and they never, but trust confronts to establish better trust. Then secondly with that, there are some people who they're not asking for you to trust them, they're actually demanding blind loyalty. Let me give you an example. Let's say you go and confront somebody to seek trust. To say, hey, I heard this about you or I heard that this was going on or hey, I have some questions about this. And they'll immediately tense up and don't give me, if any of us are, are confronted at first, we tense up a little bit. So if, if you confront somebody and they tense up at first and they snap at first, just give it a moment. Give it a moment. Because I think any of us at first are like, whoa, somebody can, what? It's easy to get tense at first. But give the person a chance to respond properly. But, but then some people, they're given the chance to respond properly and then they go, how dare you ask that of me? What do you think? You think I would do that? How dare you? 
And in that moment, what they're doing is they're actually shutting down an ability to trust and they are asking you for blind loyalty by basically saying, how dare you ask such a question? And that's a form of manipulation. They're actually making you feel bad for seeking truth and clarity because they don't want to really talk about what's going on. Can I, can I say something about this as well? Uh, what's gotten really interesting to me is when we confront people, if you confront somebody well, typically what you'll do is you will say, hey, I heard this. I have some questions. Can I ask some questions? And hopefully the person says yes. But when people get, they get all tense, you would ask that of me. How dare you? Folks, folks, questions are not accusations. That is not the same thing. Questions and accusations are very different things. Questions are, hey, I heard this. I have reason to believe. I have some questions. Can, can you please give me some clarity on this so that we can establish some form of trust and move forward? Or maybe I can find from this that I can't trust you. An accusation is, hey, you did this and I can't believe. That's an accusation. Accusations are statements. Questions are questions. And we've become so sensitive that if somebody comes to us for clarity, if somebody comes to you for clarity and for trust and questions, that's actually a compliment. They're giving you an opportunity to speak for yourself. Questions and accusations are not the same thing. They're very different, and it helps us to, we actually are called and required to trust one another, to build true trust, not blind loyalty, but trust. James writes about this in James 5.16. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that what? So that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. James says this produces wonderful results. What? To confess your sins to one another, to grow together. So if you've been struggling with something, if something's been going on in your life, guess what? God has given us the body of Christ so that we can confess to one another, so that we can grow together. And James says that the prayer of a righteous person brings healing. You're saying, well, I don't feel very righteous right now. Guess what? If you are in Christ, you have on you the righteousness of God. So if somebody is praying for you that is in Christ, that is a righteous person praying for you, and that means that healing can be involved in that circumstance. It is through confessing to one another, through trusting one another, through living life together that we can experience healing. We need one another. We aren't meant to do this alone. Maybe if you're married, you can tell your spouse. Maybe you can tell a friend. Maybe you can tell someone in your story group. Maybe you can tell a therapist. There is somebody you can tell, and the prayers and the encouragement and the building up of a righteous person will bring healing. Folks, we need each other. We can't do this alone. So let's seek to become trustworthy and learn to trust others. Which leads us finally to this. We're going to also seek to trust God. To trust God. And this one also carries with it a level of complexities that we don't have time to get into all the complexities today, but there are a lot of questions surrounding this. How many of you have been in a spot before where you felt like you were trusting God for something? And you're like, uh, where were you, God? What happened? You thought that he was going to do something and then he did it differently than you thought he would? How many of you have been in a situation before where you did go share something with someone and you're, I'm going through this and their response to you was, oh, you just didn't trust God enough. Like, Whoa, that's, that's a real guilt trip there. I mean, is that really what God's doing? Is he really just like dangling on carrots? Oh, you didn't trust me enough. I can't get, like, is, is God really that immature and petty? No. So, some people, 
Maybe you just, you're just because of life, you're like, I, I haven't seen God. I don't know. And you just you have a difficult time trusting him. And like I said, I don't have time to address all of these tensions today, but I do want to know, I, I want you to know that if you've experienced those tensions before, we see you and we hear you. And we hope to continue to talk about those types of things and be able to journey in life with you. Because those, those, those concerns, those questions, they're all valid and they're all a part of experiencing faith and growing with God. Because if all of us were honest, we've all probably been there before. But based off of the testimony of other followers of Christ and based off of the testimony of the scriptures and looking at the lives that, that those, the people have went through who chose to trust God, they would tell us and others who went before us in faith would tell us that even in those most difficult moments, God is worth trusting. Solomon says it this way in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not some of it, not when you feel like it, not when it's convenient. He says, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Solomon says when we choose not to trust in God, what we're actually starting to do is function within our own limited understanding. So he's saying to choose to trust God. Lean not on your own understanding, and what will God do? He will make your path straight. Listen clearly to that. He doesn't say, oh, he's going to make it easy every time. And then, oh, it's going to be comfortable every time. But he will make your path straight. God is, going, God is the one who, as he calls us forward, as he walks in this life with us, he will make our path straight. It won't always be easy. It won't always be comfortable. But there is a clarity that comes with following God, and he is worth trusting because he will make our path straight. Sometimes you have to go through some stuff to get to that spot of him making the path straight. Sometimes you have to, is, uh, in the words of the wonderful Rocky Balboa, it ain't about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. I got a bad Rocky impression for you, just like everybody else. But it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Sometimes it's about, I, I know where I need to go, but there's a refining going through this. God is doing something in this, and the path is straight. Oh, man, it's going to be difficult right now, but he is going to lead us to where we need to go. That's why he's worth trusting with all of our heart, because he is shaping something within you. And what he's shaping within you is not just just for you, but it's for someone else. Brings me to a story in Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus' disciples are out on a boat and there's a storm and they're all scared and frightened. And then they don't know what to do and, and Jesus comes along walking on the water. I was thinking about this this past week. I was thinking about uh, growing up, we used to watch this uh, thing, this television program. Any of you grow up with, uh, with the Donut Man? The Donut Man is kind of this weird Christian program. It's, it's, it, you would sing, uh, here comes Jesus walking on the water and it looks like fun. I'm like, I don't know if it looks like too much fun in the middle of a storm, but that's what he was singing about. And he used to, he used to have these donuts and then he'd put a donut hole in them because he'd say life without God is like a donut. You have a hole in your life and then he'd put a hole in it. You know, it was, you know I don't know. Just anyways, Christian television. Good. But so Jesus comes walking on the water and he comes walking on the water and then Peter decides to get out of the boat. All of the other disciples stay back in the boat. Everyone wants to end up criticizing Peter because he ends up sinking. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, but at least he said, hey, if Jesus can walk on the water, maybe I can too. And it's in that moment that the storm keeps going on and on. But as he stays focused on Jesus, the path is straight. The path is clear, but the storm is still happening. 
And as long as he's focused on Jesus, he keeps walking on the water, but then he loses focus and he begins to drown, and then Jesus comes and picks him up. And as I taught from this passage last year, the verse that really stuck out to me, it was after Jesus picked him up, Matthew chapter 14, verse 32, that says this, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. I don't know about you, but that, in some ways, that seems a little bit out of order. Like, Jesus, why did you not stop the thing that was causing Peter and the disciples to be afraid and then cause them to be distracted and start drowning? Why didn't you stop that first and then go pick up Peter? Why didn't you stop the storm and then go get Peter? But it says that he picked up Peter, carried him to the boat, and then it stopped. Because we know from the Gospels that he had the ability to stop a storm. Why didn't you stop the storm first? The very thing that distracted Peter and made him start sinking. Why, why did you not stop that first? And I think that there's a deeper truth and a deeper reality at play here that the thing that is shaking you will not shake him. That the thing that is causing instability for you, the thing that is causing fear to you, he has faced it, he has confronted it, and you may not have the strength to get through it on your own, but he will give you the strength to get through it. That you might be in this moment right now where you feel as if the wind and the waves are all crashing around you, and you're wondering, what can I do? And he's saying, just trust in me, because yes, you can't get through this on your own, but I will carry you through it. Amen. He will carry you through it. It might be, I don't know, I'm sinking, I'm, but he's saying, I, this isn't, but because here's the thing, in his kingdom reality, in the, in the vision and the scope through which he sees things, the storm has already stopped. Because that which will shake you could never shake him. And he will carry you through it. This is what I believe stories like this and moments like this are what led the Apostle Paul to write these words in Romans 8, 28. He said, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes we've misquoted this verse and we just go, oh, all things work together. All things work for the good. All things just work themselves out. And I know why we'd say that. I know why we would do that. Even certain translations phrase it that way. Oh, all things work together. But there's more to it than that. It's not just that, oh, all things work out. Oh, you know, the universe just brings things together. Oh, the stars just align. Oh, by coincidence, it will all happen. No, it's not just this random coincidence. It's not just that things fall into place. Not just that, no, it is, it is God at work who brings all things together for the good of those who love him and call according to his purpose. That means that there is no situation that God says, hey, I'm not willing to get involved in that. There's no situation that God looks at and says, oh, that's too messy for me. There's no circumstance that God looks at and says, I can't do something with that. God is it. God can be at work in any circumstance as we call upon his name. And it's not just that, oh, all things work out. It is the good God who works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So maybe you've been going through something right now. He is worth trusting because he is at work within all things. God is at work. God is at work. God is at work. He is a good God who, who by his very power, uh, was bringing people back from the dead, who was bringing people new life, who was bringing people profound teaching, who was bringing people hope and life and love. And through the power of his resurrection that we can experience through the power of his now Holy Spirit within us, we can see that God is the one who is central and at work within all things. 
He has not forgotten you. And if you look at the testimony of Paul and all that he went through in his journey of following Christ, I think he has something to say about God being at work within all things. He is working, he is working, he is working, and he is good. So as we continue to move forward in seeking to follow Jesus, to discover the new story that Christ has for you, for us to write a new story as a church, we are going to be committed to being people of trust. To do a heart check and say, am I a trustworthy person? To become trustworthy and then choose to trust others, to confess to one another, to grow together so that we can experience healing and life together. And in that, we are going to choose to trust God because he is the God who will carry us through the storm. He is the God who draws near and he is the God who is at work at all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He is a good God. And the more we worship him, the more we follow him, we will see that he is better and better than we ever believed or imagined him to be. So if you would, I would invite you to please stand and join us as we continue to worship, as we continue to sing praises to him and celebrate that we follow a good God who is working out his good purposes in the world all around us.